Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It's He who made us and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. For the Lord is good and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Let us pray. Gracious God, it's with joy that we come before you now. And Lord, we come with ears and hearts that are open to what you would say to us this day. Speak to us afresh from your holy word. And Lord, continue to fill us with your joy. To you be all praise and glory. In Christ's name, amen. Scripture lesson this morning is from the Gospel of Mark, reading from the second chapter, beginning at verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and on that, that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus is really beginning to irritate people. He just doesn't seem to be leading a very religious life. He hangs out with outcasts, dines with tax collectors and sinners. He touches lepers, and he makes claims that only God can make, namely to forgive sins, as we saw last week. Who does this guy think he is, anyway? Not only that, he seems to be having way too much fun. What with all those dinner parties? He laughs too much, tells too many stories at the table. Surely he must be a glutton and a drunkard. And look at the company he keeps. I mean, tax collectors? Really? 
Any holy man worth his salt would not exhibit such behavior. He would carefully observe the rules and the regulations, and he would maintain proper decorum. Why, Jesus' disciples don't even fast. Most observant Jews twice, fast twice a week on Mondays and Thursdays. But Jesus' disciples seem to ignore the practice altogether. So some religious people come to Jesus, no doubt with some irritation in their voice. They come up to him and they ask him point blank, what gives, Jesus? Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus answers, can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is still with them? Jesus likens the relationship between himself and his followers as being something like being at a wedding feast. Indeed, to, to follow Jesus is to enter into a special kind of celebration. For Jesus has come to proclaim good news. In him, the kingdom of heaven has arrived. God's rule over human hearts. As Jesus himself said in John's gospel, these things I've spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Jesus is above all a man of joy. He wants to share his joy with everyone. Life with Jesus is like being at a wedding. In those days, wedding festivities would last a week. The bride and groom would invite all of their close friends, and they would have a week-long party. Now, I don't know how that family or families managed to pay for all that, but I guess it was a big deal. I read that the average cost of a wedding today in the United States is $25,250. And that's usually, usually just over a couple days. Can you imagine forking out the money for a week-long party? Big celebration, housing everybody. Well, in those days, there was even a rabbinic saying that made the week even more enjoyable. All in attendance of the bridegroom are relieved of all religious observances which would lessen their joy. So that fasting was completely out of place at a wedding. There could only be joy. And there can only be joy in the presence of Jesus. Being with Jesus is like being with a bridegroom at a wedding party. It's that kind of joy that is to be the identifying mark of a disciple. Now, it's important for us to note that this joy that Jesus is talking about is very different than a promise of happiness. We tend to equate joy and happiness. And by happiness, we mean getting to that point where all the outward circumstances of our life just kind of come together perfectly and all is right with the world and all is right with us. It's where everything comes together and it's just so. And we think that if we can accomplish that goal or buy that one thing or experience that one pleasure, then we will experience true joy, the joy that we all long for. 
The trouble is when everything lines up perfectly, and how often does that happen actually in our lives? Because usually something may be going really well, but there's always something else that's falling apart. <laughs> but even if everything was to line up perfectly outwardly in our lives, we discover it just doesn't last. Such worldly joy is fleeting. John Ortberg, who is a pastor of Menlo Park Presbyterian Church, comments on the fleeting nature of this kind of joy in a way that parents uh, can relate. He writes, when we take our children to the shrine of the golden arches, they always lust for the meal that comes with a cheap little prize, a combination christened in a moment of marketing genius, the Happy Meal. You're not just buying fries, McNuggets, and a dinosaur stamp. You're buying happiness. Their advertisements have convinced my children they have a little McDonald-shaped vacuum in their souls. <laughs> Our hearts are restless till they find their rest in a Happy Meal. I try to buy off the kids sometimes, says Ortberg. I tell them to order only the food, and I'll give them a quarter to buy a little toy on their own. But the cry goes up, I want a Happy Meal. And all over the restaurant, people crane their necks to look at the tight-fisted, penny-pinching cheapskate of a parent who would deny a child the meal of great joy. <laughs> the problem with the Happy Meal, says Ortberg, is that the happy wears off, and they need a new fix. No child discovers lasting happiness in just one. Remember that Happy Meal? What great joy I found there. Happy Meals bring happiness only to McDonald's. You ever wonder why Ronald McDonald wears that grin? <laughs> 20 billion Happy Meals, that's why. When you get older, you don't get any smarter. Your Happy Meals are just more expensive. So if we equate joy with being happy, reaching a state of happiness, then that is indeed a fleeting thing, a momentary happy meal, but that's all. Such joy, when it's rooted in an outward circumstance or thing, is bound to disappoint, and inevitably life goes back to the humdrum mundane. But Jesus' joy is different. Jesus says, I've said these things so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be full. Jesus' joy is his joy. It's a joy that he gives. It does not come from the world. It's the kind of joy that does not separate happy days from sad days, successful moments from moments of failure. It is a divine gift that does not leave us during illness or grief or oppression or persecution. It does not depend on the circumstances of our lives, even on our momentary feelings. The New Testament book of Philippians is often called Paul's epistle of joy. He wrote it from prison. And yet it's here in prison that he writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, rejoice. In fact, he can sing a hymn of joy at midnight in a dungeon cell. 
You and I can know joy even when things aren't going right or when we seem to be people who are in the very eye of the storm. For you see, Jesus, the, the joy that Jesus gives is not dependent upon outward circumstances, but upon an inward relationship. Joy comes when the Lord lives in our hearts. Someone has said, joy is the standard that flies on the battlements of the heart when the king is in residence. And the Lord himself has made the promise in John's gospel, I will make my home in you, abide in me, and I in you. So that is the source of joy. It comes from the Lord within. And that kind of joy transcends trouble and it, it leaps the wall of, of circumstances and it carries us through even the experience of death. His joy becomes a deep undercurrent of our life in spite of what's going on at the surface. One early saint and martyr of the church who knew the joy of the Lord's abiding presence within him could testify. I love these, his words. He says, in a dark hole, I have found cheerfulness. In a place of bitterness and death, I have found rest. While others weep, I have found laughter. Where others fear, I have found strength. Who would believe that in a state of misery, I've had great pleasure? That in a lonely corner, I've had glorious company? And in the hardest bonds, perfect repose? All these things Jesus has granted me. He's with me, comforts me, and fills me with joy. He drives bitterness from me and fills me with strength and consolation. It's no wonder that the prophet Jeremiah reminded the people who were trying to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem that the joy of the Lord was their strength. That such joy should characterize our relationship with God was a real mind-bender for the Pharisees and for the religious leaders of that day, for whom the strict observance of rules and regulations was paramount. For them, it was all about doing their duty to God. For followers of Jesus, it was all about entering into a new kind of joy, the joy of Jesus is the new wine that bursts out of the old bags of grim and somber religious observance. And the question is, do you and I have that kind of joy? And would you say that our worship together and our life together is kind of like being at a joyous wedding party, a wedding banquet? Is there laughter and humor in this place? I want to pay you all a compliment. I, I think there is joy in this place. I look forward to coming on Sunday mornings. Um, you are loved by me. And uh, I, I have a sense, at least I do, that this is something of a party. We're celebrating the goodness of God. We're celebrating Easter. Every Sunday morning at worship, celebration of Easter. God is alive and his joy can and ought to pervade our lives. It's an inward relationship in spite of all the stuff that's going on outside. But I, I, I know I, I, it's a compliment to you um, because I have been in churches, maybe you have too, you've been in joyless churches. You've been to church and you come away, it was it Robert Louis Stevenson who, who commented in his diary, I've been to church and I'm not depressed. 
sometimes churches, you know, you just kind of feel like it's kind of a bit of a funeral. And uh, I don't have that sense in this place. But then again, I'm the pastor of the church, and so I have my own biases, my own, my own prejudices. But it's a great privilege to serve this church because I sense there's joy here. And we have a wonderful choir, and they, they sing joyously. And it's not superficial. Sometimes I see the choir singing joy with tears in their eyes. It means something to be here. Now, if there isn't joy here, then there ought to be because the bridegroom is with us. The risen Jesus is here. We come to celebrate. Even if we've had a miserable week and are beset with trials and tribulations, we can come together to give thanks that God is God. And then each of us, therefore, is to be a joy-bearing agent in the world. We Christians are to be the salt of the earth, giving flavor to life. We are to be as light, bringing brightness to the world about us. And I wonder, you know, if we were arrested for being Christians, would there be enough evidence of joy to convict us? Someone has said, the best argument for Christianity is Christians. Their joy, their certainty, their completeness. But the strongest argument against Christianity is also Christians. When they are somber and joyless, when they are self-righteous and smug and complacent consecration, when they are narrow and repressive, then Christianity dies a thousand deaths. But there are impressive indications that the positive quality of joy is in Christianity and possibly nowhere else. We Christians have a lot to be joyful about. We know the joy of Easter, that Jesus is alive and is with us now. We have the joy of knowing that he conquered sin and death once and for all, and that we shall live forever with him. We have the joy of knowing that because of Christ in our life, our life is full of meaning and purpose, and all our deeds, all our struggles, all our heartaches, it, it all has eternal significance. It matters. Life matters. And we have the joy of knowing that you and I have access to a power within us that's enable, that enables us to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. And we have the joy of knowing that God will work all things together for good for those who love him. Yes, in spite of our problems and difficulties, for Jesus promises never to leave us nor to forsake us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God who is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We belong to him. What shall there, therefore, what shall we fear? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? 
Thank God that God is God and that we can know God in Jesus, the man of joy. If you're not experiencing joy in your Christian life, there's something wrong. He's got to be in here, not just out here, not just here in the head. He's got to be here. So let us lift up our hearts. In the words of the psalm, let us serve the Lord with gladness. Let's come into his presence always with singing. Following Jesus is not a drab and somber affair, but rather it's kind of like being at a wedding party where laughter and good humor and a sense of celebration rule the day. So may it be. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the joy you bring into this world and into our lives. Thank you, Lord, for lightening our load. Help us to remember always that, that you are there for us. And therefore, we can always sing, even in the darkness, even in a dungeon cell. You are so good. You're good to us all the time. So, Lord, may we, therefore, allow your joy to live more fully within us that we might be joy-bearing agents in the world, that we might be truly salt and light, that others may come to know your joy. So may it be. Pray all these things in the name of the one who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.